Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And welcome to your mid-season review of the Oregon Ducks as they've hit the halfway point of their football season, this 2021 college football season. Uh, we reviewed the offense, and today we are going to break down and give our thoughts on where things stand with Oregon's defense, as well as take a look at their special teams. Uh, I think the defensive unit, Eric, overall has been one where you need to stand up and you need to give a round of applause, tip your cap to these guys because they have been dealt uh, an un um, unbelievable amount of adversity that is out of their control that they have been able to, I think for the most part, been able to at least tread above water. And that's pretty pretty remarkable considering everything that that's happened with this unit. Um, you have them with a defensive grade of a B, their best performance coming against Ohio State, uh, that is an A, and then their worst performance being a C, and that came against Arizona. And this is a unit that you look across the board, they have NFL players at all three levels. Uh, you look at the, 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 the teams, that they're playing, they put, they played some good offenses. Uh, I, I think the the one most important stat is it's hard to score touchdowns against mm-hmm. Oregon. Uh, they have given up ten, which or thirteen, excuse me, which is fourth among conference teams. Uh, they average only twenty one point eight points per game, which is the fourth best defense in the country or in the conference. Um, this is a unit that. Through all the injuries, they've done a really good job, I think, of holding back teams from scoring points. Now, there are a lot of concerns here. They are worst the worst team in the conference in yards allowed per game at 409. Uh, their passing defense is the 10th worst in the conference, allowing 275 yards uh, per game. Their yards per attempt – is one of the worst in the conference at 7.2. Um, you look at opponent third down conversions against Oregon. They are 10th in the conference at 42%. Uh, this is a unit that they are, I think, embracing the bend but don't break mentality um, for opponents. Uh, you look at you know a long, longest plays from scrimmage. They are worst in the conference in 10-plus plays at 84. I mean, the next closest is Colorado at 76. But you look at the plays that go over the top, teams that are really producing big plays, and it's not against Oregon. Only three plays have gone for 40 yards or more, and they have zero plays allowed that are 50 yards or more. So if you're scoring against Oregon, you're having to go the length of the football field and you're having to do it in small chunks of yardage, essentially. Um, There's a lot to like, but there's also a lot that they need to improve upon. Yeah, I mean, this is a defense that has really strived to basically force turnovers. That's where they've they've had success is, is they... Well, you know, they'll get they'll allow some yards, you know, flat out against Ohio State. They they gave a lot of cushion and they have most of the season. I've been a little bit disappointed the last couple of weeks to see that continue. I thought maybe we would, they would move away from that, and especially against some of these less explosive passing offenses. 
But even against Stanford, you think about, I think it was their second scoring drive in the first half on a third down play. And Mikhail Wright gives, um, I think it was might have been Elijah Higgins or, or Bryson Tremaine, about eight yards cushion on a six yard, you know, they need six yards to get to the sticks. And that's just not going to work. So um, there's been a little of that schematically. Um, but again, this is this is a, this is a group that really forces a lot of turnovers. And to your point at the start, which I think we do have to acknowledge, um, just in terms of providing context for why some of this has taken place, the injuries have been just unbelievable. It's every week, it's a key guy going out. In fact, I was talking on the phone with a buddy of mine who, I guess, I was talking to the enemy. He's, he he went to Washington. He's a Washington fan. He was asking me kind of what happened in that game, and you know, and we ran through some of the details. I won't get into the gory stuff because fans don't need to be to rehash some of the ugly stuff that happened at Stanford. But I was talking about the injury stuff, and when I wrapped it up, he goes, "Holy cow!" Basically, he said a different word. Um, that's unreal that Oregon has had to deal with all of that stuff. He had no idea. And I think that's part of this is that, man, this defense looks a lot different if there are some of these players available. And I understand it's part of the game and you just kind of have to move on. But they are missing. It's not just like they're missing a couple of key guys. They're missing like half a dozen players that would be either starters or in the rotation right now. Um, and some of them are some of their better players. You know, Bennett Williams Again, we don't know the specifics of the injury. We haven't had Mario Cristobal uh, speak. Pretty significant, is what Cristobal said. That's not good. That typically means it's it's going to be either season-ending or close. And he was probably your third or fourth best defensive player through four games. You missed Justin Flo had one of, I think, the most impressive debuts in terms of his, his first start um, against Fresno State. was all over the field, played awesome. You kind of saw, boy, this is one of the more physically gifted guys you've seen come through here at this position. He's not available right now, and he might not be for a while. Kayvon Thibodeau's missed time. His biggest replacement, his top guy, was Braden Swinson, who, by the way, against Ohio State was the Pac-12 defensive lineman of the week. He hasn't played since that game. Um, and I'm just running through some of these guys because there's other guys that aren't playing much right now. You know, uh, Drew, or not, I shouldn't say not playing much, but aren't playing at all right now. Drew Mathis is out. Jackson LaDuke is out. Those are two guys that would be starting at will if they were available in place of Justin Flo. Instead, Keith Brown is and Eddie Koliani are. Those are two guys that weren't going to be, you know, feature players in this defense that are asked to play a ton of snaps. And for better or worse, they're out there all the time. And there's not really an alternative. They're moving players around to fix things. Um, DJ Johnson's playing both sides of the field right now, or you know, both sides of the you know, offense and defense, both sides of the ball, I should say. Both sides of the field would be pretty dang impressive. That means he'd be playing offense and defense at the same time. So he'd be playing for both teams, which is illegal. But both sides of the ball is still impressive. And this is somebody that that would not be something he'd be asked to do if they were at full strength on defense. So there's just a lot they've had to overcome here. And even with that, I thought, Matt, in the second half against Stanford, they might have played their best half. That might have been their best half of football. We talked about the offensive line against Stanford in the second half on our previous podcast. Maybe that was the best half of football. I think I think you could argue until that last drive, that was the best defensive half in Oregon's played in a couple of years. Um, I mean, Stanford could barely move the football. They're being moved back every drive. They were three and out, three and out. They had like a seven play drive, but the rest of them were all three and outs. It was really awesome to see. And you got really, I started getting pretty excited thinking, okay, they're starting to click and put it together. And yet they lose the football game and you go into the bye week, I think, feeling a little deflated. I feel a lot better about the state of the Oregon defense than I do of the state of the Oregon offense. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Um, sure, there's stuff you don't like. Against Stanford, they threw the ball. It seemed like Oregon can't guard a slant route. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if that's schematic. I don't know if that's personnel. I need to go. Maybe we'll ask Tim DeRuder about that whenever he's available next. But there are still holes and there are still issues. Like you said, not good on third down. They struggle really, really mightily in that on that down for whatever reason. Um, 
But there's a lot to be excited about, too, especially when you consider all that's missing. And I think they're kind of starting to figure it out. And you, I think you saw against Stanford in the second half how valuable Kayvon Thibodeau is and just how disruptive and dynamic. I know we all know that, but this was just, I think, further evidence of, okay, we saw some issues with this defense for a while, but when he's out there, boy, that second half, do they look good. Oregon is second in the country in turnover margin uh, of 11, and Iowa is the only team ahead of them, and they have 12, uh, a positive 12 turnover margin. Um, here's a couple stats that kind of blew me away when I was looking at this stuff. What's the what's the adult thought about this Oregon defense through five games? Um, one of those things is they can't get sacks. They can't get to the quarterback. There is no pressure on the quarterback. Oregon, Eric, is fourth in the conference in sacks and six away from the conference leader, Arizona State, two away from – being in a three-way tie with Utah and Oregon State for most sacks in a season so far with 12. They have 10 sacks, and that's fourth in the conference. That kind of surprised me. I was sitting here thinking, looking at, like, the idea that, oh, Oregon can't get pressure. And, I, and I'm and i one of those people that says that, that right. they aren't getting pressure on the quarterback. And yet I go and look at it and think, oh, they're not at the bottom of the conference. That kind of surprised me a little bit there. Four of those came against Fresno State when KT was available since then. Uh, you know, actually, if you the the, the, the the game sandwiched in there where KT wasn't available or fully healthy, they had four in three games. The other games that he's played fully, they've had six. So the KT factor is big there, and that's why I'm in, that's why I'm kind of excited about seeing this group going forward. Is now that he's available, people talk about this being a shortcoming because we've been in lockstep with this, feeling the same way of like, God, they can't get pressure. And I think that's part of the reason they've had so much or opposing offenses have had success on third down. It was a different animal. Even that last drive um, against Stanford, don't need to get into all of it. But the reason that KT's not going to be playing in the first half against Cal was because he beat his man and was in the quarterback's face. And the reason Brandon Dorless got a 15-yard penalty was because he beat his man and he was in Tanner McKee's face. To argue about the contact that happened afterwards, I think it was bunk. I think Matt thinks it was bunk. I think most people think it was bunk. But the reason that happens is because Oregon got pressure. You started to see it come together. And again, it's pretty excited when you think, exciting when we think about what it would be like when KT's available fully again, what it's going to be like when Braden Swinson's available fully again. Think about maybe down the line significantly, but when Justin Flo's available again, and just some of the dynamic players you have um, that could be coming off the edge or coming up the middle um, getting after the quarterback. And, and it, Stanford was their best game since the Fresno State game, I think, in terms of getting after the quarterback. All right, let's focus now on the defensive side of the football, defensive line of the football. Um, B minus is your grade overall. A minus against Ohio State. D against Arizona. Um, I, I think a lot of this grading is because we haven't seen uh, Kayvon Thibodeau out there for right more than two full complete games. Um, that's what he's basically played in the played three games that. that he's played in this in this season so far. He played about what thirteen snaps uh, against. Arizona, he was done by halftime. He played in a full quarter, essentially, against Fresno State. Yeah. And then he was back in the game against Stanford. Um, not a lot of action with Thibodeau. And I think part of, you know, partly not having the best player in college football is going to impact these grades. A hundred percent. I mean, like you said, you've had Kayvon Thibodeau for equivalent of like 
one and one third games or something like that out of five. Um, I mean, just didn't think about that, why the defense might be having issues. And that's why I get encouraged that I think coming out of the bye week, I know he's not going to be able to play the first half against Cal, which is, ugh, don't get me started on that. Um, I've already kind of started. As you can tell, I got a little, the body language changed. <laughs> my, my, my facial expressions changed. I got irritated again, thinking about that play, but when he is able to play full football games, you see what happens and you see the difference with this defense. And that's why I think there's reason for a lot more optimism coming out of the bye week, getting everybody healthy or as many players healthy. Obviously there's players that are out for the season or out for significant periods of time. Some of the guys have had surgery already, right? But they're going to start getting some of these guys back to at least higher percentage of availability to hopefully being closer to hundred percent in Kayvon Thibodeau's case, Mace Funa's case as well. Those guys are two, of, you know, those are two of Oregon starters on that defensive front there. And both those guys have been in and out of lineup. And then Braden Swinson at some point, hopefully, um, he'll be back too. When you have all of these pieces start to come back together, I think that's where I can go, okay, they're B-minus now, but if you want to project what this could be later in the season, this could and probably will be the strength of the defense, I think. Yeah, it, correct me if I'm wrong here. This feels more like just a, a you have to attach a letter grade to it, but it's more like an incomplete because we haven't seen – the full defense of line per se, play a bunch together. Agreed. Linebacker group. Um, this is one that's been absolutely decimated and you give them a group of uh, B plus for the season, a plus against Ohio state C minus against Arizona. Um, let's just go back to this summer when spring football was done workouts, fourth quarter program was basically done and the look at this linebacker group was oh my god they are absolutely loaded yeah and like keith brown how is he going to see the field he shouldn't see the field um because they have so much talent and that's not because keith brown's not ready like any other year he's probably a guy that's second or third you know on the depth chart and and playing and the, the starting unit was noah sewell and isaac slade matuatia you then had Justin Flo and Drew Mathis. Uh, you had a uh, Keith Brown. You had a couple other guys. Uh, Jackson on- Jackson LaDuke's a name that we just keep forgetting, who I think was going to be right in there. Right, Jackson LaDuke. And now, uh, about four months later, Isaac Slade, Matuatia transferred before fall camp, middle of summer. Totally surprising move. Went to SMU where Jim Levitt, uh, former defensive coordinator who helped recruit Slade, uh, to Oregon. He's now working there. Um, Justin Flo is out for pretty much this season um, for the second straight season. Drew Mathis has suffered a, a probably a, a similar injury that out from a length perspective, probably out for the season. Um, Keith Brown is dealing with uh, a hamstring issue. Um, we've seen Noah Sewell have to go Wolverine like four out of five games and leave the football field with what looks like an injury to only rejuvenate himself and be back on the field for in two or three plays. So he's obviously playing banged up. Um, And this is a unit where they've got former walk-ons. They've got position changes to to give them depth. They've moved outside linebackers to inside. They've pulled safeties back uh, up front. Um, This is clearly a mash unit. Totally. Um, and, and Jackson LeDuc, whose name I just wanted to mention, he's also he's out for the season. year. Yeah. So there's another one. So, I mean, they've, they've legitimately lost a guy to transfer, have three of their next best guys out for basically the season. Um, and you're right with Noah Sewell. 
boy, he is having to do yeoman's work because there's no other options. If he comes off the field, it's going to be Nehu Kaliani and Keith Brown, and there really isn't much alternative unless you do really want to play these two freshmen a lot. I mean, you would, if, if those guys go down, you're looking at Jeffrey Bassa and Jabril McNeil, guys who were playing different positions when they, when they started fall camp, to be some of your key players at inside linebacker. And I give a lot of credit to Keith Brown and Nate Hukliani. I thought Nate had a pretty darn good second half against Stanford. He he had some, he had some he and he and Keith both had some rough moments in the first half against Stanford in coverage. In fact, collectively, that's been a pretty big weakness for this group. Even when everyone's been available, um, is, is coverage from the inside linebacker position. I think it's a spot where you kind of you do miss that Isaac Slade Matto idea, who was really good in that area. But man, I mean, th- this group is being asked. To, it's all hands on deck because if if if, they, if they're all not ready, they don't even have the they don't have the bodies to play really. I mean, I, you get to a place where you start going, are they going to start moving guys from outside linebacker who are starters to play inside? I mean, like at some, I mean, that's where you just go, boy, these guys need to stay healthy because there's not an alternative. And with the slew of injuries you've had, you just get a little bit nervous about it. And I, I've been super impressed with Noah Sewell, man. I think that guy is. For my money, he and Verone McKinley are the defensive MVP so far. Bennett Williams would have prob- probably deserves to be in that conversation, too. It's really sad that he's out for an extended period of time, too. We'll get to that in a minute. But Sewell's a stud, man. He has lived up to the recruiting hype at every turn. I think he's an All-American caliber player this year. He's in an every single play. And Oregon is very fortunate to have him because if you didn't have a A-plus caliber player at one spot, to make up for some of the shortcomings at the other, this could be a lot worse than it is. And, and honestly, it hasn't been to me the weakest group on the, on the defense. In fact, I have it graded as the best, which is probably going to surprise some, and there's probably going to be some pushback from that. I understand it, but that comes from the first two, actually the first three games. I thought they were f- tremendous. Fresno State, I gave an A. Ohio State, I gave an A plus. Stony Brook, I gave a B plus. That was when this group was at its quote unquote healthiest. Since then, they haven't been. They've been relying on the Nate Huclianis and the Keith Browns, and the production has dropped a little bit. But when this group was really humming at the beginning of the season, you saw why Justin Flo and Keith Brown, or sorry, Justin Flo and Noah Sewell were rated the way they were as recruits. I think it's justified, though, for them being the best unit because they are doing more with less than every other position group. I agree. That's why I have them there. Yeah. Like, like what Nate Huclianis is doing for Oregon as a former walk on. And is this type of is, is types of performances that are the, the difference in a team unraveling and finishing eight and four, nine and three, or a team finding a way to have a guy give way above his average numbers for a season when the team absolutely needs it to help preserve that championship run. Like I go back to I, to the basketball analogy here. Like and it's I understand it's very silly, but the CBI when Oregon won the CBI, they had like Garrett Sim was a senior guard for that basketball team that was very average for three seasons, and he then elevated himself to almost like all conference honors, not like first or second team, but honorable mention for sure. But was someone where you were like he is really playing good. And would would start for probably a couple teams in the conference uh, at his position. I'm not saying Nate would start at, at linebacker for half the league, mm-hmm. but he would be playing for mo- most teams in some capacity in a year in which no one was expecting him really to do anything because he wasn't going to be needed. 
And I think those types of performances are ones that are the difference between a team keeping their aspirations of winning the title intact when they get hit with some adversity or things falling apart. Yeah, I think Nate embodies the next man up mentality better than just about anybody on this team. And this group has had to have a lot of guys deal with it. And I'll be honest, I'll be very curious to see how this plays out from here from a wheel linebacker position of how much better can this pairing get? Because I, I think Keith Brown has shown – he's had some flashes where you see the athleticism. Like there's a difference between Nate and Keith in terms of – Nate's probably a little more instinctual right now. He's kind of sees and understands what's going to happen with the offense. But athletically, he's not Keith Brown. It's the difference between being a former walk-on and being a high four-star recruit. Keith Brown is the athlete you want him to be, but I don't think he has quite the instincts, quite the ability to know what to do. And you see him get washed out of plays because of that right now. I think when he starts catching up to where Nate is at from a understanding of where to go and just playing with kind of with his hair on fire and not overthinking and, and reading and reacting, you're going to see him potentially play at a high enough level where this doesn't feel like it's really a, a concern or a question mark. And it's my hope that you see that start to take place in this bye week. I think it's a big bye week for both Nate and for Keith, but Keith in particular, to just take ownership of this, he's now starting to get fully healthy. He had a hamstring issue against Ohio State. He didn't play against Stony Brook. He's kind of been maybe 30 to 40% of the snaps the last two weeks. If you can get him fully healthy and get him confident and get him to a place where he's just out there, all right, I know where to go. I'm going to get to the ball and make the plays. And that's going to be a big difference. I mean, we even saw, and Matt, we brought this up on the Stanford podcast, Nate's pretty darn instinctual. He he plays he puts himself in positions, but we even saw one time where he met, I think it was Austin Jones in the backfield. And Jones like a three or four yard loss. And Jones still wrestles Nate for about a two-yard gain or back to the line of scrimmage, at least. If that's Keith Brown, that ball that he's going down right there because Keith is a different level of athlete, different level of strength. So it's my hope that Keith is able to step up and not to say I don't want Nate to be on the field because he needs to be, I think, at times. But my it's my hope that Keith is able to elevate himself to where he can kind of fill in that role and play. 75, 80% of the snaps as opposed to being kind of a partial split right now between the two. I also think this defense will, will go up a notch when they get Braden Swinson back. Um, 100%. It was very evident against Fresno State, and it was very evident against Ohio State that Braden Swinson is a dude. And if it wasn't for Kayvon Thibodeau, he would be, in my opinion, Oregon's best pass rusher. Mm -hmm. And probably outside of Noah Sewell, the name of and the face of that front seven, um, in my eyes, I, I think I just think Swinson is is going to be he's going to be an NFL player, and he's behind Kayvon Thibodeau. He's missed the last two games or three games now. Yeah, three straight because of injury. Um, you have to hope that he is back after this bye week. Um, and is available to go against Cal. Um, I think Mace Funa getting healthy has helped things. Um, it, it, it's certainly a, a group that's banged up on the inside. It's banged up on the outside. And once they get healthy, though, I think some of these depth concerns can kind of not get totally forgotten, but they don't become as glaring because you have other guys that can – can cover up some issues that you have uh, because of other depth, you know, because of season-long injuries. Um, and so once this group is healthy, much like what we said about the defensive line, 
I think this 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 unit stock could go way up. Yeah, and just one last thought on Braden before we jump to defensive backs. We talked about kind of okay, what's life after Kayvon Thibodeau like as that edge rusher? And everybody was like, okay, if they sign Cyrus Moss, who's supposedly the prototype similar to KT, he's the next guy. Even if they get Cyrus Moss, Braden Swinson's the guy for the foreseeable future. Two to three yeah. year starter. I think I agree. NFL player, potentially an all conference, all American guy. All American, maybe that's too high of praise. That that requires some real improvement there, but all conference guy for sure. And and I think a player to be really excited about by and and one again that I think it's kind of lost some fans that he's not been playing either. And talk about a pass rush struggling. He's their second best pass rusher for my money. And when he gets back, that's going to be huge. All right, let's now shift down or shift back, I should say, to the secondary. Um, one that I felt like maybe coming in was probably overall the deepest unit um, because you had Verone McKinley, who's a three-year starter. You have Mikhail Wright. I think both those guys are NFL guys. Uh, you look at Jamal Hill. This is pre-suspension, and you said, okay, this is another one that's probably an NFL guy. He was really good last season in that um, nickel spot. You've got DJ James, who will elevate into the starting role behind, you know, after serving as a back, the primary backup the last year. Um, really solid group, but then you've got a wide range of young guys that are uber talented. And they got hit with some adversity the first day of fall camp with Jamal Hill and DJ James being suspended. Um, they came back against Ohio State and have played in that game and have played in each game since. Um, I don't think. It's gone maybe as perfectly as planned um, for this unit. Uh, I think DJ James has had his struggles. I think Mikhail Wright has been really good. I think Bennett Williams surpassing Jamal Hill was a big surprise and one in which was probably for the best, you know, it's, it's a good surprise. It's a good kind of, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. type of a deal. Um, but I do wonder just about this team and this unit. It, you gave them a B grade. Uh, a minus uh, overall, uh, best grade against Ohio State. A B minus is the worst grade against Fresno State and Stanford. Um, it's one where you walk out of it thinking they've played really good for some spots, but there's also a lot of improvement left to have, and you could really be special if you can maximize your talents. It kind of was lost on me, Matt. I was thinking all of the adversity that the defense has had had been in the front seven, but you're right. The suspension to two probable starters in fall camp. Now we talk about Bennett Williams. This group's had to deal with quite a bit itself, too. Um, and a couple other younger players that aren't like Davon David was a guy I think we expected to play. He's been out with injury. Um, this group is, yeah, this group's had to overcome some stuff as well. And I think it's been such a mixed bag in terms of grading them because almost every game, they give up completions that you just wish they didn't. And you just go, man, they could have gotten off the field there, but whether it be just beat straight up one-on-one -on -one, or if it's they give a huge cushion and the receiver just runs a, a short route to the you know to the boundary and, and gets open for an easy pass. I mean, it's there's been plays like that almost too frequently. At the same time, they've also forced collectively nine turnovers this season and have made some huge plays in the red zone, okay? I mean... Say what you want about how that Stanford game ended, but there were a bunch of plays around the end zone where they knocked the ball away before that. And frankly, I think the last one should have been end of a football game. And we'd be talking about, man, how great was that that Mikhail Wright um, concluded the game with a pass breakup on the play that Stanford is money at Stanford's money play. Um, so I think there's been a lot to like. There's some stuff that I'm still a little bit frustrated by. I think fans are as well. 
Like you think about that last drive and consecutive plays of just slant routes for 15 yards over the middle of the field. That helped that drive continue. We talk a lot about the penalties that got it down there, and obviously I'm not saying that didn't play a role. That played a huge role. But there were some just defensive plays that were frustrating too there where and it was Jamal Hill, I think, in coverage both times, the replacement for Bennett Williams, where you kind of go, boy, this is just it's disappointing that they're able to move the ball this effectively when the game is on the line like this because if you stiffened up in the middle of the field, this game is over. Um, Jerome McKinley's awesome. I talked about that a moment ago. Defensive MVPs, I think so far it's been Noah Sewell and Jerome McKinley. McKinley's, McKinley, McKinley's elevated himself to a point where I, I, I've been a huge Verone fan for a couple of seasons now. I've, I've thought he was a tremendous ball hawk in the back end. He's a complete player. He plays on, he, you know, he comes up and, and defends the run really effectively. He's a very sure tackler. Um, I know he did on the overtime touchdown. I think he was one of the, he, he did. I know, I shouldn't say I know. I know he, he whiffed. Um, but like overall, he's been fantastic. And so you've got him at the back and that's huge. And we will see now with Jamal Hill. To me, that's the that's a big question mark. Are actually the two guys who were suspended early? Are how can can DJ James play better? Because they are defenses are attacking him. They don't want to throw to Mikhail right because Mikhail does a really good job over there on an island. But the defenses are or offenses are attacking DJ James. Can he step up? And then for me, Jamal Hill is huge here because Bennett Williams was producing at such a high level. I can't say enough about how impressive he was, both as a playmaker and, and forcing turnovers. He had three of those. He had a pick six against Arizona. And then also just in space, we talked about this a lot, Matt, of like how many plays did he just clean up where if he doesn't make that tackle, it's a big gain, and he stops it right in its tracks. So Jamal has to really step up. This is a big position, I think, for – we loved Jamal Hill last year. I think everybody kind of – most people know that name, and it's a pseudo starter anyway stepping in, so it's not like you're relying on, on a newcomer. But he has some big shoes to fill now. Because Bennett was playing at an all-conference caliber level. And Jamal's first start, an unexpected start, because, by the way, Bennett Williams suffered the injury in a walkthrough on Friday in a non-contact drill, which is just sort of baffling that that took place. But Jamal had some really nice moments. He also had some pretty bad moments, if you go back and watch. He led the team in tackles, but some stuff that you definitely want to see corrected from him. If he can take his game up a level and play the way we think he can and at a ceiling, I don't know if he'll quite match the way Bennett was playing because, boy, I think Bennett was like all-American caliber to start the season. But that'll go a long way in correcting some of these issues. If, if, if the nickel position is a weakness, I think that's a problem because, to me, it's one of the more imp- important positions on the entire defense because of the versatility you require to play it. Let's talk, touch on that DJ James bit because I do agree with you. People are attacking him, and I think that's an ode to just how good Mikhail Wright is. Yeah. Um, like, I think – it was very evident that they went to Mikhail Wright, uh, Stanford did on that PI call. And I think David Shaw even knew, like, hey, that probably wasn't a PI. He just defended it really well. Let's, let's, let's untie down this extra gift that we just got. Let's go away from him. Let's not throw the ball. If we're going to get a, a jump ball 50 50 play, let's not go to the better corner. Let's go to DJ James. Because, um, I mean, it, it was, the design was literally, hey, let's put one receiver at the top and just throw there. And yep. they picked DJ James over Mikhail Wright to throw at. Um, so my question is, is there a better option? I don't know if there is. I thought, I mean, here's the thing that was – I don't helpful. think he's playing really bad either. 
Here's the tough part against Stanford was the game plan, I think, they talked about this during the week, was they want to try Quez Bridges on these guys around the goal line. He got yeah. booted, he got booted on the kickoff. He didn't even make it to a play from scrimmage on a targeting call that was, I think, the right call, one of the few calls that I would maybe agree with. I know some suggested it shouldn't have been. I thought it was probably justified. Um, he would be a different he would be a different option against Stanford around the end zone. That's a guy who'd be about seeing eye to eye with the receivers at Stanford at six three as opposed to somebody who's, you know, maybe up at their shoulder. Um, that's interesting in those situations. Dante Manning, I actually thought played pretty darn good in coverage when he was out there against Ohio, you know, against Fresno State. Um, I thought Bridges did too. So there are alternatives. I don't think they're going to go away from DJ though. I, I um, that doesn't mean I don't think the others will play, won't play because they did. I think Manning actually had a pass interference call that was pretty critical. Um, on one of Stanford's scoring drives in the first half. I don't think it was a good call either, but again, a lot of gripes from an officiating perspective if you're you know, watching Oregon closely. Um, I do think they have some options, but I don't know if they're going to move away from, from DJ. Cause it I don't seemed, think they should. Yeah, I don't either. You know, I think they feel like he's their best option in man, especially, you know, you talk, I've heard, I mean, every single person that talks about DJ, and this is just, I think I mentioned this in the podcast, but they bring up fastest, quickest feet on the team by a mile. I've heard a couple of people say quickest feet they've ever seen. Um, and these are defensive backs talking about other defensive backs. So he has some skills. I will also say he's the one that's gotten beaten the most and the most consistently. That's not totally a surprise when you have a player like Mikhail right on the other side, but he needs to elevate his game, especially when you go up against some of these better passing offenses in the conference, which boy, I'm, rack- I'm racking my brain here, Matt. There aren't a lot of really great passing offenses on the schedule. Oregon doesn't play USC. They don't play Arizona State. Those are two of the better passing offenses. Um, you know, you look at the upcoming schedule. I don't know if Cal has anyone that scares you. UCLA might have some people, but that's prim- that's an offense that likes to run the football. Colorado can't score points, period. Washington State has had a hard time scoring points. Utah, same thing. Oregon State might be in Washington are two offenses that might have some guys to beat you, but even there, so... Um, Strangely, I kind of look and go like I don't know if there's an offense that really scares me for this defensive backfield. So that could be a good thing going forward too. Um, I think I've said enough about safe about the, the DBs. Is there any overwhelming thing that, that needs to be grouped about this group? Um, Bro McKinley has been a stud. Bennett Williams is, is amazing. I think Mikel Wright's really good, and we now have questions with Bennett Williams' injury, how that impacts things. But yeah. Like I, I don't think there's really any other major qualms with this unit. I, 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 there's a lot of potential here, um, and I, I think if you were to ask me which position group is best suited to to have one of their key guys go down, and them to be able to move on, uh, I would probably at the end of the season said DB over anything. Like KT was one where it's like they cannot have him get hurt. Um, I, and then he I got think, hurt. <laughs> and he got hurt. I think, the, I think the, the cruel thing is, is Bennett Williams is probably one of Oregon's five or six best players on the team. Um, He's playing like standpoint. it. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, knowing what Jamal Hill did last season, they can make some adjustments and they can, and they can, you know, it will be a hit. It will take a hit to this unit. No doubt about it. I'm not trying to be cruel about Bennett, but they've got depth here where I think at other positions they didn't. Just one last big picture thought here um, before we jump to special teams to wrap it. Um, group needs to be better on third down. And if the group doesn't make improvements on third down, 
it needs to continue to force turnovers. I thought that was a significant issue against Stanford was first game where they didn't force a single turnover. It's a group that had been forcing a lot. Um, it's been so much turnover reliant. So if, if that becomes a trend where they have a hard time on third downs and also a hard time forcing turnovers, you see where there might be some issues. But I think overall, I'm, I don't have a ton of gripes with this group. All right, let's move now to special teams. Um, you've given this group an A- minus for the team grade. Overall, best grade of the, of the year is A against Fresno State. Worst grade of the year is B+. Plus. Uh, Ohio State, Stony Brook, Arizona, and Stanford. Um, I think this group is damn good. Tom Snee <laughs> is – like, I remember when Tom Snee got added to the roster, I was like, why? That makes – okay. And then they had two punters. Mm -hmm. um, and yep. that was kind of like, okay, Tom Snee's not going to be more than just a, a, a coffin kicker, a guy that's going to kick into the corner of the of the end zone every single time. And he has legitimately turned into one of the best punters in the country. Um, Camden Lewis is an amazing story of, re, of winning his job back. When everyone that covers the team and probably a majority of the fan base did not expect him to. And I, let me rephrase this. Uh, Hayden Herrera of KMTR yeah. is the only one to say Camden Lewis would win his job back. Um, mm -hmm. He's probably one of the only people <laughs> that covers the team or or follows the team that felt that that's not named Camden Lewis or a relative of Camden Lewis or a close friend of Camden Lewis. Um, but I think that in of itself is is an amazing story. And he he looked a little shaky the first game against Fresno State. Um, with some of his his trajectory on his kicks, but he's made some clutch kicks. He's he's knocked some in. He's gotten better too. And I mean, I got to the point where I was like, "Hey, you're at the 39 yard line against Stanford. Don't get those false starts. You need 10 yards." And he get, he kicks the game winner, and I had no doubt he'd make them. Yeah, confidence level's gone up significantly with me for Camden Lewis. I, I remember when I don't know if it was on video or not, and people saw it, but when we talked about the fact that it might be Camden Lewis kicking, I put my hands my face in my hands of like, oh no, don't do that. This is what a terrible idea this is. I was wrong. Okay. I, and I can admit it. This guy has really stepped up and he's six for six. He's made every extra point. He's kicked two field goals over 40, which was an issue with him is he didn't have distance at all in these kicks. He, I think his previous high coming into the season was 39 or 40. He's showing better distance on his kickoffs, more consistency getting it into the end zone. Oregon collectively has two pretty darn good place kickers and punters. Um, and, and actually, you'd say more than that because I think they have Henry Cattleman, who's pretty darn good too. So there's actually depth at place kicker, which is a weird thing to say. Um, fantastic specialists. I think the only reason I couldn't that this grade isn't even higher is where's the sizzle in the return game, Matt, if you want to just kind of have a little bit of a gripe. I think the longest return from scrimmage, I shouldn't say from scrimmage because it's not from scrimmage, but the longest return either as a kickoff or a punt was 30 yards by Johnny Johnson, and that was early on in the season. Um, and that was on a kickoff. So there hasn't been a lot of like explosion plays as kickoff or as, as in terms of punt returns. And that to me has been a little bit, I don't want to say disappointing, but that's something I've, I've missed because you think back to 2019 and the plays Javon Holland made as a punt returner and then the plays that you know Mikhail Wright made as a kickoff returner. He had a couple touchdowns. He had a couple that set up. We had one that set up the Washington State game-winning field goal that Camden Lewis did hit. Um, there has not been yet a big-time impressive return. The best of the season from a punt return took place over the weekend, and that was where Micah Pittman gave Oregon a really good field position in the second half. Um, 
for what ended up being a touchdown drive, I think. But collectively, I'd love to see a little bit more there. They've been good in coverage, too. Their punt coverage, their kickoff coverage, they've been fine there. If there's one area I want to see improvement, it would be in the return game. And just like it feels like with the talent and speed and athleticism Oregon has collectively, that you that they should be able to break one or two of these. And we're five games in, and not only have they not, but there hasn't even been one that was really close. Yeah, I guess that is probably the one concern. Um, I think Pittman's been very safe with his returns. Yeah. Um, some of it has maybe hurt Oregon a little bit, but I think for the most part, he's just kind of been more focused on fielding the catch or getting away from the ball um, than trying to get some returns. Now, I mean, I don't know if that's by design or not. It just feels like they're just playing safe this year. Um, I mean, Bobby, but Bobby Williams has said primary thing is catch the football. That's the number one thing. So maybe it is simple as that. So I, I don't know. Part of me, part of me wants some big returns. I I do think kickoffs are probably the the one area where I'm more like, if you're looking at, if you're looking at returns, kickoff would probably be the one I'm more concerned about than, than punt return. But, um, I think we're we're kind of splitting hairs, maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty minor gripe. Overall, as you can see by my grades, I think the special teams has been has been a strength, and that's good because it was at times last year pretty darn bad. Like, I mean, it was bad to a point where people were, <laughs> "Hey, changes need to be made." And well, so I mean, I was, like I think it's really good. They just they look more organized. Like the last. I don't know, the last yeah. couple of seasons, they just didn't look organized. And that doesn't look the case. Yeah, there hasn't been that one just like, oh, my God, how did they not – how were yeah. they not prepared for that? That happened against both USC and Iowa State where there was just like a, a, a kickoff that ended up being an onside that really wasn't supposed to be because Oregon wasn't in the right position. Um, none of that so far. They haven't been, I don't think, caught off guard at any point. The closest thing was Arizona running that throwback thing that ended up being a forward lateral that would have gone for a big game but that didn't count because it was a forward lateral. I mean, I it, it, we're splitting hairs here, but uh, they, 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 they've, they've cleaned up a lot, I think, from a special teams coverage. And five games in, I think they deserve a lot of credit, and Bobby Williams especially as, as the guy leading that group. All right, that's going to do it for us here on this Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Um, look for – Eric's got a really good interview later on this week. Um, with Oregon women's basketball head coach Kelly Graves. So look for that one to come out later this week as well. And hopefully you guys are enjoying your bye week without Oregon football this week. Or maybe it's just kind of like one of those "Eh, (laughs) (laughs) type of a deal. Um, It's kind of that way for me. I'd much rather have a game than not have one. But nonetheless, hope you enjoyed this review. Until then, uh, until the next podcast, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.